It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. And joining me is I have uh, two wonderful guests lined up today for our, our hour together. Really have the great privilege of meeting a lot of these kind of cool leaders and people who are doing amazing things in their company with their talent. And so we really kind of brought them together here on this show. Um, it's really what we're designed to do is to allow us to have a conversation and hopefully give you the opportunity to listen in and maybe learn a couple cool new things, something you might be able to do uh, in your own life to become better or maybe uh, use inside your company as a way to, to improve your workforce and to help your company culture. So Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can hear us on the TuneIn Network if you want to tune in live. Otherwise, you can access us through our podcast, which is where most people actually kind of come in. Uh, over 10,000 of you a day are coming in and downloading podcasts from iTunes or listening to us on iHeartRadio. Those are pretty easy places to, to find us on any device you might have. So really, really proud of that number. A big thank you to everyone who shows up on a regular basis and, and listens to us uh, have these great conversations. If you have a question for one of my guests, I'd love to hear it. And you can do that via Twitter. Right now you can do it live. Uh, Mike, my producer, is live tweeting this uh, this show. And in between that, if you have a question, throw it up there and make sure you just add at PeopleG2 if you can fit the hashtag talent talk. That makes sure Mike can find it and shoot it over to me. Uh, while we're talking. And if it happens to be after the fact, that's fine. We still love to have the questions and we can involve the guests after the fact. If there was something you wish you, you would have known or we didn't quite get to, I'm happy to do that. My guest today, is, we kind of got through all the business here, uh, we have Angie Kramer, the CEO and founder of Jobless. And then we will have Torrance Freeman, the Human Resources Manager with G&A Partners. Torrance will be on, on after the second half of the show. We have a little commercial break and then we'll bring him in. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Uh, proud to to welcome in uh, Angie Kramer. Angie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So, why don't you tell everyone a little well, bit about sure. yourself, um, kind of your your background, and of course, uh, a little bit about your company, Jobless. Sure. Uh, actually, my background is quite surprisingly not in the HR or recruiting industry. I have about seventeen years' experience in tech and marketing which is why I built Jobless. But a little bit about me, I'm way up north here in Toronto, um, actually just outside of Toronto uh, in a city called Oakville in Canada. And I am a mom and I box. And I, I think, you know, there's probably not too much more exciting I can say about me. But that's uh, the company's really where I've been spending most of my time lately. 
And why don't you tell us a little bit about what Jobless does uh, specifically? So Jobless is a freelance management platform, and it has two sides. First, it helps companies to build and manage their flexible workforce. And the two sides that are, there is a private database where companies can actually build their own private database of freelance talent. They can upload and manage everybody within that database. And if you're starting from scratch, we give you the ability to tap into a public marketplace of freelancers. So you can meet people, vet them, and then bring them into your database to manage. Well, that sounds like um, a really great system. So what are some of the – are people using this more as kind of to create their own proprietary type of a system? Or are there other kind of maybe direct applications that they might think of? Um, using the system, we're actually seeing a lot of companies uh, who are just, for the first time, able to manage their their databases that they've been kind of scrambling to put together. They've been using Google spreadsheets or email or even pen and paper. So they're actually consolidating all their data within the database. A good portion of them are just using the database to manage, track jobs, meet other people. But we are seeing a large portion of new companies like startups who don't have access to any talent because we aren't recruiters, we don't take a markup. We allow you to actually browse and meet people. So these startups are able to uh, build from the ground up. So there's a, a wide variety of uses for the platform that we're excited to see companies embracing. So how did you come up with such a you know good idea? I mean, it's... Uh, obviously, companies, you're right, you're using maybe some of more archaic methods to keep this stuff together. So, you know, really kind of creating a place where people can find those pre-approved freelance-type talent. How, how did you come up with the idea? Uh, out of frustration, uh, I was uh, an executive at a loyalty company. And my team, I had 45 people on my team, and they ran across the skill sets. There were strategists, there was analysts, a full creative department. And my job as the executive was to bring in a very large gross billings target. And I'm sure a lot of executives and other companies are familiar with this feeling. But, so you're stuck with the full-time people that you have, uh, but the skill sets that are needed for the jobs that are coming in are, are all over the place. So new mobile technologies, new SEO and PPC. So... I couldn't hire full-time. I could only find people either within my um, full-time roster, and if they didn't have that skill set, I had to turn to freelance. And I did. I turned to freelance recruiters, and, you know, it's a very time-sensitive issue to find freelancers. So recruiters were able to find me somebody that I was paying the markup and there was contracts. So out of frustration, because my background is tech, I uh, worked as a developer and said, why don't we just build a prototype that simply connects the freelancers to the employers? And we did, and it took off so fast, we were barely able to keep up. So that was the initial state of jobless. And over the years, uh, we reached out to more and more companies who had this need, this need to scale up and down, this need to find new talent or to actually recreate their, their company model. And we discovered that the database plus the marketplace was the most effective way for them to actually achieve this. So that is where we have evolved to. And that was a very long-winded explanation. 
Well, no, I'm glad you, oh, yeah. you did. And, you know, I was thinking that there's lots of different types of freelance um, organizations out there or services where people can find freelancers. So from that aspect, then, how does Jobless differ from that maybe traditional model that we might know of? Well, my focus from the very beginning was to ensure that freelancers could actually create a viable career. Because those companies and, and websites that you're talking about, there's a common denominator between all of them, and that is they are either given or taken a markup off of their hourly rate. Uh, the employer is also paying a markup on the hourly rate. There's contracts that are associated with that. So the freelance is not going home with what they're actually think they're making. That's an issue. And the other freelance sites, they actually are bidding against each other so they're driving their rates lower, and we call it the race to the bottom. So that's not a career-building experience, and it's important because in and the stats are, it, by 2020, 50% of the American workforce will be freelance. That's 60 million people. So 60 million people who are scrambling and fighting against each other for jobs doesn't make sense. So... What we do is we allow employers to connect directly to the freelancer or contractor or vendor or whoever is on the site, and they negotiate their costs. They work together. We don't get involved. We get paid on a monthly basis, so it's a SaaS platform. So the employer will pay us to manage their database, to house their database. And the freelancer and the employer can go on business as usual just like they were a full-time employee. So that is really the, the, the basis of, of what we do and why we're so very different from the other freelance websites. You know, you kind of labeled that, and you got, got into a little bit about the amount of uh, freelancers that may be in the marketplace, and that really gets into all sorts of other issues um, from a society standpoint as well. But, I mean, you've kind of labeled it as the, the future of work. So that freelance model can certainly, you know, does match what many people say is the direction that they, they're kind of going and where they're seeing the generations of work going. Maybe talk about what yeah. you see happening in the future then and how how we manage that talent. I mean, it's one thing if people want to do work that way. It's another thing if there's service like yours that can help them connect. But what about managing those types of people in, in that environment? How do we do that? Well, I going back in time a little bit to the Industrial Revolution where people started working 9 to 5 for the first time, and it was meant to, like, kind of solve the chaos. There was nobody nobody really um, putting any uh, order around when people worked and how they got paid. And now we've evolved into constantly needing new skill sets. So that's where the future of work, when I talk about it, it really means flexibility. It means being able to find the, the talent that you need to meet the demands that are in front of you at any given day and to be able to plan ahead. To manage them for a very long time, people looked at freelance as, I, I called it the, the F word, it was almost seen as somebody who couldn't get a job or wasn't very good at what they did and they couldn't get a full-time position, so they were freelancing because they had nothing else. But it couldn't be more opposite. The freelancers that are now available are highly skilled, and they don't want full-time jobs. But what they want is a direct connection to uh, as many paying employers as they can. So I, I would back up to the point where I think it's very important for employers to embrace freelancers like they would 
uh, they're full-time employees, but they just don't have that overhead attached to them. So we're seeing great success with employers who treat their freelancers exactly the same as an employee, invite them to lunch and learn, invite them to events. And obviously the difference is you're managing time and you have to manage their calendars and availability, but that's really a dialogue. So we encourage a lot of dialogue and conversation between the freelancers and the employers. The more that happens, the stronger the bond, the more you're able to rely on them last minute. So what if we expand this then? And, you know, let's say that the average company may have one or two freelancers. And let's say somehow that expands into five or ten or and we could even use a percentage. Let's say it's maybe 1% now and we get into 5 or 10% of our people working in our organizations are suddenly freelancers. How does that then maybe sort of impact company culture? And that being such a you know, a big buzzword right now, it's such an important thing that we're spending a lot of time talking about and we're making sure our workforces are aligned and happy. So when you have people that are kind of coming in as hired guns, how do you think that that impacts that, that opportunity for us to have great company culture? I, I look at culture like I look at relationships in general. My friends and I have a culture. We don't necessarily see each other all the time, but we can rely on each other. So it's a mindset. And I, I believe that the idea of company culture was created for companies to make the people sitting in the desks day in and day out feel like they were part of something great. And that could totally be true. But culture is really about a relationship. It's about trusting people. So I would say culture still applies. It still exists. I myself have worked in a situation where uh, an employer, as a contractor, an employer brought me into their learning events and to certain lunch meetings. So I was still involved in all staff. So that culture, I'm really good friends with those people. So it's, I know it, it can be done. It's really about how the company wants to embrace it and what, what they want to give the freelancers to uh, make them feel comfortable. I had down here to ask you about what a flex team is, and so it's such a small question. I'm hoping you have a have a great answer. My, my producer, Mike, thought that might be a good topic for us to hit. So what, what is a flex team? Flex team is an easy way to describe to people. Really, again, the freelancer is seen as this, this person that you pull in at the last minute. A flex team is really your bench strength. It is whatever you need. We usually say two to three people would be in your flex team for every one position that you think you're going to need in the future. Your flex team is that it's almost like a comfort blanket. You know it's there. You know, there's some good examples of flex team. I mean, we might think of people that way in sales, or we would think about them in IT, or maybe in customer oh, service. Yeah. Where would we maybe put them first? There's one great example of flex team where nobody thought it would work. And really it was, I mean, if you think about the pressures that are, are given to executives right now, I mean, we already know that technology and creative, they're already using freelancers. But where I was absolutely astounded with the success was in an innovation flex team. So within the company itself, the executive team was given a team of really smart people that they could tap into whenever they needed. 
So if they had a presentation coming up, if they needed to talk about innovation or they were tasked with coming up with a, a pitch or an idea that was just a little bit outside their comfort zone, they had this flex team of strategists, of business analysts, whatever they needed, they could tap into, work with, and then those people went off and worked on other contracts. But it helped support the people within the company. And they were able to grow and really, they learned themselves, which is also a very powerful example of what a flex team can do. It can provide your internal full-time team the support and learning that they just can't get uh, working nine to five. Do you ever see a situation where a flex team or a, maybe a flex position could even be an executive that to come in and maybe an organization at particular times needs uh, maybe more management, but not they don't need it all the time. Have you seen anything like that before? Yes, CMOs are often pulled in. Uh, I would say uh, executive level freelancers or contractors, CMO, CIO, CEO, where they're just needed for a certain period of time to help restructure a company or help uh, with a rebranding. So you need that very senior level. And that's a good question because most people think of flex teams as just a graphic designer and a writer. But more and more, we need that senior leadership to be able to come in, like helicopter in, and, and supply the support for the other executive teams that are, are needing that guidance. Absolutely. Well, I'm wondering if there is a book that you uh, maybe are reading right now or recently read that you might share with us. I have a couple books. The Innovator's Dilemma is one of the books that I'm reading right now. Uh, Innovator's Dilemma speaks a lot about uh, just what it's like to work within a chaotic environment and how to build something new. I didn't know if you weren't you were going to ask me about something that I actually enjoy on my my spare time. I don't have too much spare time, but I'm rereading The Passage by Jason Jason Cronin or Justin Cronin. Well, the vampire like novel and has nothing to do. Well, we always get interesting um, suggestions from our guests. Um, everything from the typical business book to a classic to history books or you know uh, fiction. So everyone always seems to be vampire book. Yeah, yeah, our vampire book, right. So um, there definitely seems to be a wide range of what our, our, our guests are reading. And I know our, our audience really enjoys hearing the different um, types of things that people might be reading. They might want to check out and even enjoy. So it's a, it's a, it's a really good one to, to think about. You know, some business leaders will always kind of be afraid of change. And you're certainly talking about a new model and a new and a, really a change for traditional work where you have people maybe not in a – they're not locked in. They're not maybe um, as controllable or whatever the, the downsides might be to someone who's in a flex team or in this kind of freelance model. So do you feel that the more traditional companies can come around to and maybe learn to adapt to really take advantage of this model that you're kind of seeing and, and really helping to evolve uh, in the future? Yes. I mean, we see some companies like publishers who are putting their entire they have 13,000, 30,000 freelance writers on it, and they're using it to manage these people. And that's one model. But another model, which I would suggest for companies who are not feeling comfortable with change and not quite as digitally savvy, to test and learn within their company. Uh, pick uh, 
one or two people that could use some extra support, some not necessarily thought leadership, but maybe it's getting them design teams or somebody to help with PowerPoint presentations, something tactical. But build a small flex team and give that flex team access to those people within the company and see how it goes. Because I think when people see the value to tapping into a very smart person for a very short period of time and they don't have the baggage of needing to give them work constantly, they see that and they start to um, come up with new ideas on how to embrace flexible working and new skill sets that they'd like to tap into and learn from. Well, that's a great way to think about it. Um, Not only can you kind of dip your toe in the water, but using it as a way to get access to somebody who's really uh, well-versed and smart, and maybe even someone that you could never have afforded to have brought them in full-time, but you can bring them in and their skills as a, you know, on a project basis or for a momentary uh, bit of time that might give you you know, a much higher level of a person to have access to. And you're right, maybe you're a full-time person in your company could learn from them, get that exposure, and really gain a lot from them. I want to make sure we we give you an opportunity. If people are interested uh, in learning more about you, learning more about Jobless, what's the best way for them to do that? You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Angie Kramer, K-R-A-M-E-R. Or you can visit us at i.gojobless.com to these. Um, and we also have a white paper that I've uh, published that I'll be putting on our Twitter feed. So that's Go Jobless on Twitter, and we'd be happy to have a dialogue out there. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn, so you can find us anywhere. Well, great, Angie. I really appreciate you being on the show uh, today. We really learned a lot, and uh, hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us a, you know, an update on how you're doing. Wonderful. Thank you very much for the chance to chat. All right, we'll be back after this quick commercial break, and we'll have our second guest. Uh, She's a great one, Torrance Freeman. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that PeopleG2 offers something different. At PeopleG2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. If you're just joining us, you missed a great interview uh, with uh, 
Really kind of an interesting uh, person from Jobless, Angie Kramer. She's talking about work, all different types of uh, kind of flex teams and looking at freelancers. So hopefully you can catch that if you've missed it. Don't forget you can also go to talenttalkradio.com and hear our uh, past guests. Uh, And you can also find this as a podcast here pretty quick in the next few weeks on iTunes and iHeartRadio. And all of our past shows are up there um, if you're interested. All right, my next guest is... uh, I have down Torrance Freeman. I'm going to guess that maybe there might be a shorter name for that, but from GA Partners. And as a reminder, you can send your questions right now to at PeopleG2. You include that hashtag Talent Talk, and we'll try to get in there. So I guess the first question is, is, is it Torrance or is it maybe Tori? It's Tori, actually. Tori. Yeah. All right. So we went with the proper name to start, and then we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll which I've almost probably messed up. But anyways, why don't you tell one of about yourself um, and, of course, your company, GA Partners? Great. Yeah. So, um I'm an HR journalist with GNA. I've been in HR about five years now. Um, I think I just hit my fifth year uh, in March. I guess going into GNA, and then I'll get a little bit more about what I do here. GNA, we're an HR outsourcing firm. So basically, we're going to specialize in helping businesses and their owners, entrepreneurs, and everyone um, grow their businesses faster, take better care of their employees. Really, uh, we can do that because we have we have the people. We can help with the processes, and we even have the technology to help them out in their HR benefits and payroll. So we can kind of give them all of that for less than the cost of hiring one person internally to handle it. Um, so at GNA, in my role as an HR generalist, I'm kind of a catch-all, I would think, uh, for anything that isn't specifically processing payroll or specifically processing benefits since so have, those have their own departments. Um, it kind of goes through our, our uh, human resources group. So that can be from helping develop a process for a client all the way to just double-checking their employee data in the payroll system to make sure it's right. So, so it's quite a bit. I think it's a, it's a great company to be at. Um, we, we do a lot for our clients, I will say. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I know it's sort of interesting because um, I know you went from being a psychiatric technician to recruiting and, and, and an HR. So many would have, you know, say that HR is sometimes kind of like being a psychiatric technician, I imagine. But you know, why the switch in the career path for you? And what was it about, you know, recruiting and HR that really kind of drove you in that direction? Uh, so I actually get this question a lot when people find out what I used to do before I went into HR because I think people look at it and they don't see the similarity in it. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a funny story. So I got my degree in psychology. And um, before I went on to my master's, I was like, okay, I want to get some real-world experience before I decide to actually go on and put the money in and the time into getting a master's. So um, I applied for a position with a local psychiatric facility, and I got hired on as a psychiatric technician. I found out um, during my time there that that was not the career path for me. Um, I just... It's a big burden. Um, I could see it with a therapist. I mean, it, you can get burned out really easily um, as a therapist and working with people that have psychiatric issues. So I was like, okay, I need a different career path. What am I going to do? And I'll admit, I, I went on Google. I love Google. Um, I went on Google, and I typed in, what do I do with a psychology degree? What career can I have? Um, and HR kept popping up. I applied to a company that's really well-known for um, hiring entry-level, developing their people internally, doing a lot of training, and I started out there in recruiting, really got to learn processes really well. That company was amazing at having all the processes laid out, uh, and after there, after I kind of grew out of recruiting, because that's all the company had, um, I moved over to GNA, and that's where I went into the generalist role, where really what I learned in my previous job, all those processes was super useful for clients, and then um, here I've been able to just expand that knowledge. I'm really, I'm really process-driven, actually, and a goal-oriented. 
So um, being able to do that and being able to develop those drives in clients is, has just been great. So you talked about that kind of chance or that uh, high probability of someone in that uh, initial role of, of being a, um, you know, a case manager or uh, a counselor in those situations kind of having a high burnout rate. I know you also kind of have a high, an interest in executive burnout. So maybe in that context, what causes top executives to burn out? Are there similarities there? Are there kind of uniquenesses to, to their particular uh, roles and responsibilities? What, what was kind of your, your thoughts in that area? I, I think actually it is very similar. Um, it's another high stress position, just like you know, case manager or therapist. Uh, being an executive, you're, you're handling a lot. You get pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, you have some pretty large burdens uh, taking that on. And also, there's a lot of expectations and even demands that you have to meet as an executive, and you, it can get really overwhelming. And if there's no end in sight for that, constantly you feel like you're not hitting a goal that you set for yourself. It's going to burn you out. I think a lot of the times when executives get into those roles and they start taking on so much um, and they start feeling like they're not successful, uh, they feel like, you know, the people beneath them are constantly demanding more and more, so what they're giving them isn't adequate, and that can kind of pretty easily lead them into burning out and kind of checking out of the company itself and just starting to do just, you know, the motions and not really being engaged. Yeah, and, and so are there things that maybe executives can do to try to avoid burnout and stay on top of their game? Yeah, there, there's definitely some um, options for them out there. I mean, first and foremost, and I know executives get caught in this all the time. I mean, you can't be you can't be a workaholic, and I know it's you know, that's how you get in your position. You put in the time, but you have to realize that you've got to step back every once in a while, and you need to take your own time. Either you know go and hang out with your family or have some outside interests that you can do. Um, I mean, there are companies out there that actually force their executives to take out to outside time. You know, they, they send them on a retreat or something. So kind of seeing how they can make sure that their executives aren't going to burn out. You know, there's a lot of research out there that you're, you're, you just can't expect 100% from your employees 100% of the time consistently or constantly, essentially. Um, and it's the same for executives, and they kind of need to realize that before they hit that burnout. And then also... You know, when they're making promises and giving deadlines to their employees, they, they need to be reasonable. I think sometimes they get caught up in wanting to give their employees the best, the fastest. So then they're hitting these deadlines, and they ha- they've got nothing to give their employees. That's another thing, just making sure that whatever they're saying to their employees, whatever expectations they're putting out there, that those are reasonable and things that, um, that they can do. So not promising too much in too little of time. And then I think a great way is for them to stay, stay organized in whatever way they find, because I know that not everyone's going to be able to be organized in the same way as someone else. But that's a good way to know what you've already got on your plate, because another area is, you know, knowing to say no. And I know that's easy to tell people, well, you just need to learn how to say no more. But uh, it's definitely something executives should do, because if you already know what you have on your plate, you know you can't take on that extra project. And if you do, you're going to be overburdened. And then, of course, from that, the delegation. So you've got that extra project coming. Well, maybe you can't take it on, but you have a really great director that you know can handle that project. So it's kind of being aware of what you've got, staying organized, knowing you've got to take some time out, uh, and setting, of course, reasonable deadlines for things. Yeah, and if they can avoid burnout, one of the other things that executives kind of deal with on a regular basis is feeling a little bit like they're alone, whether it's, you know, alone with inside of their their group that they're managing, their team. It could be that just if you're the CEO, you might just feel alone at the top in general. So maybe what sort of company model or leadership model is best to really enable them to realize that 
you know, they don't have to feel that way, that they can maybe rely on their, their members of their team and the company in a, in a different way that maybe might kind of eliminate some of those, that isolation? I think this one really depends on um, what your business needs are. So you look at your business, um, see what it can handle. Uh, if you've got a really large, complex business and, you know, you started out small and maybe you just have a CEO with your CFO, maybe you have a COO, but you're looking at it now, maybe you need to branch out. I mean, C-suites have gotten really uh, complex these days. A lot of extra ones have been added in. So kind of look at your areas. Maybe you can add like a chief tech officer or a, a chief human resources officer and kind of spread that load out. And especially, you know, you'll have more people at the top there with you essentially to help you deal with that. And, of, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there's delegation. Uh, make sure that you grow your people internally to where you know if something comes along to you that you can't handle, you have someone who can. You've got a good a good of directors that you know can you can just send this project over to them and they've got it i mean being at the top especially if your business can't support a larger c-suite you really want to make sure you do have that support under you because even though you're the boss you still want to be a part of that team and make sure you're still interacting with them and engaged with them Uh, and if you're a smaller company you know and you can't build an internal support structure, you can always look at finding you know, external support, maybe building your network externally with top leaders, uh, possibly even in different industries, kind of being able to share some difficulties you're going with, bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, that can always help as well. It can really be a kind of a good connection, I think, if, if you think about it that way. And there's a lot of different uh, maybe sort of small techniques or just simple things we might be able to do if we as leaders can recognize that we're feeling a particular way, burnt out or alone or whatever it may be. It's just a matter of taking a little bit of a initiative, I think, to to kind of make some sort of a change in that area instead of just kind of leaving it alone. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely. kind of circling around to, to what you started with and talking about your time and working in um, – you know, around people who have kind of pretty severe mental illnesses. I had the same experience, but in supporting someone that I knew through that process, as opposed to maybe working in an environment like you did. But one thing that I picked up on by being around a lot of people that were kind of in real acute scenarios in their life, there's a lot of that going on inside of our workplaces. And a lot of the kind of more challenging people that we deal with, there may be some level of mental illness going on there. And I'm not sure how much experience you've had with that or if you've seen very much of that. I've luckily not had to experience any of that uh, personally, but, um, I mean, it definitely happens. Uh, You're going to have some leaders out there that have some issues that you're having to deal with. So kind of helping coach them. And I know that this is kind of something that HR likes to throw out all the time, but it depends um, on what your situation is and and how you're going to handle that. So I guess the, the biggest thing is to sit down with them and let them know uh, what's going on. I think it also, once again, it depends on uh, the level that you're dealing with, too. So, you know, if you've got, let's say, a CEO and there there's some, you know, there's some issues going on there, you, you might want to look at bringing in an outside coach as well. So maybe that's something that can't be handled internally. Um, someone outternal, externally, objectively come in and they can, you know, talk with them and work them through some of those items. And a lot of times it's just a matter of taking people who are inherently negative or struggling in an organization. Like you said, bringing in a coach is very similar to bringing in having someone go to a therapist and kind of working through those issues and helping them be cognizant of them, helping them deal with how others are viewing their their actions and their um, responses to things and how really walking them through that process of how they might handle situations better. That can have such a huge, huge impact into 
maybe keeping someone who's pretty key to your organization but is not doing so well on the personality standpoint with employees. Um, we've seen you know those situations where your your best salesperson, your best manager, your best IT person, whatever it may be, is also your, like your biggest headache uh, when it comes to yeah. internal issues. So yeah, I think a coach, like as you mentioned, is is a really great way for someone to look at that. Yeah, and I think yeah, bringing in someone. From the outside, it, it helps it to feel like less of an attack on that person because I know coaching someone about their attitude is such a touchy subject. So when you've got that objective person who can come in and just say, hey, this is how people are seeing you. We're not saying you are, but this is how people see you. Let's let's figure out how we can fix that. Yeah, absolutely right. And it can really, really help kind of change people, especially if they have that safe place to go, right? If a coach is going to be that or a therapist is going to be that safe place where they can have a real conversation and not feel like they're going to get fired for that or judged for that or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, well, what, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests is uh, about what you might be reading. Is there a particular book that you're reading now or maybe you recently finished that you might share with the audience? I actually just started a new one uh, a few days ago. Um, it's a pretty short book. It's, it's actually written by someone who worked at Disney for about 13 years, and he's just talking about how Disney develops employee engagement. I mean, I mean, everyone's kind of seen the Disney model and just think that it's amazing. I mean, what they, they don't call their employees cast, or they don't call their employees employees. They call them cast members. So he kind of goes through how Disney builds that engagement and what they're doing to get their employees really invested in, you know, their job or the organization itself. Um, so, that, so it's been a pretty good book. It's uh, I think it's by Pete Blank, and it's uh, Employee Engagement Lessons from the Mouse House. Well, they are um, a giant organization. They do a lot of good things and a lot of a lot of things correctly. So it sounds like a cool book to check out if someone is interested in in kind of looking at that. You know, you mentioned a, a lot of different things here today. You know, what would be maybe specifically a, a takeaway or something that maybe someone should, if they only really heard you say one thing today, what would that thing be? What should they have really heard and maybe taken away? Um, I think the biggest thing is for executives to realize that there's a balance between being fully engaged in your work and your organization, but not letting it run your life. So it's hard to find that balance, but it's really something they, they should strive for because that's what's going to keep them um, from, from burning out and from checking out, really, with the business. You know, and I'm not sure if we got uh, far enough with this at the beginning, but maybe you can kind of go back and, and re- summarize and uh, give us a kind of a good explanation of, you know, what does G&A Partners really do? What do you guys specialize in and, and how are you helping your clients? Yeah, so basically, GNA is going to do the HR for our clients. A lot of our clients have small HR groups, and we'll handle like the first part of processing a payroll, and we'll take it on the back end. They'll handle um, the employee interaction for benefits, but we're going to administer all of that for them within the human so, resources. Department. So they're doing the hiring, and but then yeah. bringing in the person, and then you're just sort of picking it up from there. Is that kind of your starting point? Essentially, but we'll help with recruiting too. We will help from start to finish in the whole employee life cycle, just depending on what the client's needs are. Right, absolutely. Well, it sounds like a great company that somebody might want to check out if they're going to need help in that area. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can they learn more about uh, G&A Partners if they're interested in, in possibly using their services? Okay, well, um, they can contact me directly on LinkedIn. It's Torrance Freeman, and that's T-O-R-R-E-N-C-E. And then for G&A, they can check out our website, which is G-N, as in November, apartners.com. They can give us a call. That's a one eight six six nine two seven six two zero three, and we even have a Twitter handle, so they can reach out to us on Twitter at GA Partners. Great. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show today and taking the time to kind of explain what you guys do, and loved kind of learning about your interesting background and how you got into HR. So, uh, hopefully, we have you come back at some point and give us an update. Great. Thanks so much.
I thank everyone for listening to the show today. Hopefully you learned uh, something that you can uh, take back and use in your own career or share with a friend. Next week, we will not be having a live show. Um, we'll have a best of as I'll be traveling to beautiful Minneapolis. So check out uh, the Tout Talk podcast as well and uh, iHeart or iTunes or whoever it may be. We're there. You can get your fix next week there all day, but I'm sure Paul will run a great show for us on the rebroadcast. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.